Welcome to the Property Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the Property Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge, and thanks so much to everybody who's supported the rebrand. Now that we're the Property Pulse, we're doing more of what people want to listen to all around the world. So it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing in real estate, we hope you found a home on the podcast. So you'll be getting more of the helpful hints and tips that'll make and save you tens of thousands of dollars comes transaction time. If you're a real estate agent, you're going to get more of the things that you've been tuning in for already. We'll be talking to the real estate identities and icons from not just around Australia, but from around the world. And of course, we'll continue to share what it is that we're doing that's working really successfully in the marketplace, those things that we're experimenting with that we're not too sure about, and our failures so that you can avoid those as well. So I did dedicate at the start of this year that every week I would share with you our newsletter in an audio form. Our newsletter is that front-facing publication that we send out to uh, all of our current and past clients, uh, along with others that we come across uh, during our day-to-day business. And so if you do want to register yourself, you can do so by emailing my team at daves at realagents.properties, and we'll ensure that you're on the list and receive it every week. Now, mostly this this podcast... um, but the uh, that is derived from the newsletter uh, comes as a result of, uh, and I guess the genesis of the newsletter is usually me fleshing out my, my thoughts and feelings on a particular subject. Um, it's ordinarily something that's popped up in conversation or it's a hot topic uh, at that current point in time. And uh, it, it does form to be a fantastic resource uh, over... Uh, over the years and that you can delve right into. I've, I've recently listened to some of our earlier podcasts and uh, reread some of the newsletters that we started off with some four or five years ago. And uh, some of that information I could just lift and change the dates and publish today. It's still relevant. And I guess that's why so many people have been tuning into this podcast because it doesn't seem to matter where you are around the world. There are some first principles of real estate that are worth sharing. And it seems to be that's what people are tuning in for. Uh, They're looking for the ideas that they can implement regardless of where they may be uh, in the country or around the world. And my ardent suggestion to any real estate agent that is developing a a presence within a marketplace is to develop a newsletter. If you're not uh, the type of person that uh, likes to sit down in front of a keyboard and tap away, um, or perhaps you're prone to writer's block, then I would suggest maybe just cut and paste articles that you're reading. So if you're finding industry publications or news in and around your area, whether that be community-driven news, uh, there could be events that are nearby, it's perhaps just things that you're interested in that are going on in your marketplace, simply copy and paste that and let that be the foundation stones of, of your of your newsletter. And it might be, and I, I would also just suggest to you that if you are going to publish those things, just lend your opinion or your little spin on things when you do that. Um, but having said that, if you're like me and you do enjoy the process of writing, then you'll find that putting together a a newsletter is really beneficial in your non-written marketing and communications. And in exactly the same way that I'm now sharing this with you as a pod- podcast, there is absolutely nothing to stop you from writing a newsletter, reading it out, and making a podcast of it yourself. You'd be surprised how many people would prefer to 
consume the content in the audio form than in the written, but both certainly have their place. And this is a great way for you to be able to duplicate that same creative uh, in two different mediums, so saving you time, but ultimately delivering greater value to the end consumer. And so it is today. The newsletter that was just sent out a matter of moments ago. Why ID is now required to buy and sell a property in South Australia, but was never required before. Now, this came up as a matter of a conversation that I had with some uh, older, retired Australians who'd been in their property for many, many years, and they were quite taken aback by the fact that they had to prove who they were and prove that they owned the property. Um, and uh, they thought that this should just be a matter of trust. And well, for over 150 years, it pretty much was. And so what happened? So it, it may be unfathomable, unfathomable to many, but it is only very recently that identification has been required to buy and sell real estate in Australia. There was no ID required to list a home, to sign a contract, to execute the transfer document, nor to direct proceeds of sale into a particular account. The fact that this system worked so well and for so long is a testament to the honest nature of Australians. For over 150 years, we almost sold a property on a stranger's word that they are who they say they are and that they own what they purport to have. Naturally, it was only a matter of time before that bond of trust that held together our property transactions for so long was broken forever. How did it come to be that we were essentially selling properties on trust and how did all of that unravel? Firstly, a bit of background. Before statutory law prevailed over property transaction, common law took precedent. If you ever hear of squatters' rights, that's a common law principle. The, that possession is nine-tenths of the law. So what happened when the person in possession of the property was not in possession of the title or deeds, and there was a dispute over who held the rights to transact the land. Well, this would be quite an exhaustive and expensive process to remedy. That would often involve solicitors from different jurisdictions who then had to verify the credentials and claims made by each party. The process would often take years. As statutory law was enacted, we saw this process somewhat simplified. The advent in South Australia of the Real Property Act of 1886 simplified this process by removing squatters' rights by declaring that the person or entity whose name is upon the title is the inarguable owner of the land or proprietor of the land and has sole rights to tra transact that said parcel of land. The Act also removed solicitors as the only conduit to a sale and installed a new class of legal professionals, that of conveyances. Conveyances, well, they only deal with property matters, like a lawyer, but just for property stuff. The main difference being in the way that they charge. As we all know, lawyers like to charge by the minute and so have a vested interest in dragging out things, whereas a conveyancer gets charged for the job, the transaction in other words, and so has a vested interest in dealing with that in a timely fashion. 
It also meant that conveyancing companies soon popped up all over South Australia. If a town had a real estate agent or two and a pub, they generally had a bank and a lawyer and a conveyancer in the main street as well. It is fair to say that a hundred or so years ago, people had a more personal relationship with their agent before engaging their agent services. This familiarity generally meant that there was not much need for the agent to verify the credentials of the person who was selling their property. Agents, generally speaking, would refer the vendor to their conveyancer of choice. And so although ID was never checked, it was not entirely needed given the familial relationships people enjoyed in times gone by. Fast forward a few years ago in Perth. A chap realised the flaw in the system and started renting high-end homes where he knew the owners were overseas and the home didn't have a mortgage. Both of these things are easily found out by getting a $20 title search and snooping on the owner on social media. After moving in, this entrepreneurial gent would then engage an agent to sell the property off-market without signs or open inspections. Because the property was very well priced, they would often sell quite quickly. So how did this actually work? Well, one, tenant seeks out a high-end property where the owner is overseas. Two, tenant engages agent to sell off market and signs a sales agency agreement, fraudulently, albeit, and purporting to be the owner. Three, buyer is located, isolated, contracts are signed by both parties. Four, transfer documents are drawn up and the tenant signs as though he is the owner. And five, the money is transacted into the account of choice of the tenant. Now, that guy didn't do this just once, but multiple times before being caught. It's amazing to think in retrospect that it took so long for someone to exploit the trust in the system, given how relatively easy this scam was to execute. All because the agent took the tenant at his word that the tenant was not the tenant, but indeed the owner. Now, this cannot happen any longer as appropriate checks and identification verification is required before the property is transacted. Rarely will an agent ask a vendor for ID to list their home even since this has happened, which may seem strange given that you need ID for almost everything else in life. If you wanted to, well, hire a book from the library, you'd be required to provide some form of ID before you were given a membership card to the library. So uh, it seems to make sense that you should require identification to transfer the land. But, you know, there are now checks and balances in place that ensure that some unscrupulous individual cannot sell your home without you being caught. So there's a little interesting story about why it is that we do things the way that we do. And I think it's relevant in other marketplaces because around the world, jurisdictions are moving to electronic lodgement and property transactions. In South Australia, we were one of the last jurisdictions within Australia to adopt an electronic signing process uh, so that we could use a service like DocuSign, which is a worldwide service for the method of having contracts signed and, and executed. Previously, we needed to do that physically and with the, contract, uh, with the contract in hand and to witness it 
witness the biro hit the paper uh, for it to all be a legitimate contract. Whereas, of course, now we, well, as a, as a practicing real estate agent, DocuSend, DocuSign has been a godsend in that I no longer spend as many nights away from my family signing agency agreements, signing contracts and cooling off papers. No longer am I spending my evening serving cooling off papers. And so I'm saving three or four nights a week. Uh, and not only that, but the clients appreciate the fact that I'm not absorbing half an hour or an hour of their evening to do all of this either. They like the fact that they can receive the contract on their phone or their iPad or their laptop, that they have the luxury to read through it in their own timing before executing it and that they can execute it any time of night. It doesn't matter as long as it's done. And so there's not this big rush to, or the pressure of the agent being in front of you as you scan through the contract that you're about to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars to. You can indeed just relax whilst watching TV, flicking through the iPad, making sure that you feel comfortable with what it is you're about to get yourself into. And I think that's a win-win. And, and I think that that's great for agents, it's great for clients, and the fact that we can now do that electronically and that the world is moving in that direction is good news for agents and clients alike. But we're also seeing it in more tangible uh, ways. The, the benefits here, of course, is that electronic lodgement now means that there's an ID verification process, which means it's going to be impossible for somebody to, well, sell a house from under you. If you're an owner of a home, you won't find yourself in the situation that the wealthy people in Perth were finding themselves in when this chap went and sold their house when they just happened to be working overseas for some time. So that won't happen ever again in Australia, it is hoped. And um, I've not since heard there being any examples of any fraudulent property transactions along those lines since these changes have been made. And so I do hope that uh, uh, trust has been returned to the system. Now the loophole has been closed and indeed everyday consumers can buy with confidence once again. So I'm Dave from Real. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. So I hope you're enjoying these insights in the audio version of the newsletter. If you are, please subscribe. And uh, I'll look forward to bringing you more next time. The Property Pulse podcast is designed for anybody who's dealing in real estate, whether you're buying or selling, expanding upon your portfolio, or perhaps you're a real estate agent and you're just looking for helpful hints and tips that'll accelerate your success in real estate. Well, I hope you found a home on the podcast. And if you have, please subscribe to stay tuned to all new episodes as they become available. 